Within the $1.5 trillion fashion industry, almost 100 million trees disappear into clothing every year. And that's projected to more than double within the next 15 to 20 years. To be sure, clothing is becoming a major threat to the world's endangered forests. But one environmental champion is working to change that. Welcome to In the Business of Change, where we speak with social entrepreneurs and other changemakers impacting their communities and the world. I'm your host, Elisa Birnbaum, publisher and editor-in-chief of Sea Change magazine. On this episode, we speak with Nicole Rycroft, founder of Canopy, working with more than 750 companies, including H&M and Stella McCartney, to find conservation-friendly alternatives to forest products. Get, like take a, a nice step back and I know you've been asked this question so many times but if you can do it one more time you know how did you get into Canopy how did you start Canopy why did you start it what was the challenges that you saw out there that really kind of upset you and made you realize okay I gotta do something about it? sure Thank um you. how did I end up here I blame my <laughs> grandmother your it's grandmother yeah yeah I'll, I'll <laughs> let her take the fall for this um, my grandmother had a really infectious love of wild places, and uh, as you can, as you know, well, yeah. I said from my accent, I'm from Australia originally, yes. and I grew up uh, in Sydney, which is a big city, but there's a lot of bush in Sydney, and it, uh, it's when you're in the Australian bush, it's a it's a kind of an intense experience. Like it's hot, uh, the smells of the eucalyptus leaves, the oils get released, so it smells uh, really pungent, um, and it's loud. Australian birds, kind of like Australian people, are kind of loud. <laughs> it's cicadas. There's kind of this cacophony of sound. It's hot. It smells, and it just gets woven into your fabric uh, in at, at a very core level. And so that combined with my grandmother's incredible love of wild places uh, and wildlife documentaries, I think just instilled in me this reverence uh, for our planet and for our natural world at a very early age. And so I've carried that love um, for forest ecosystems and for the species that we share this planet with um, along with me. Uh, and then I, you know, got distracted. I became a physiotherapist and I was an elite level athlete in Australia. Nice. And um, and then I, I traveled throughout Southeast Asia for a couple of years and had done some volunteer work in Australia on forest conservation issues. And then I found myself on the Burmese border doing some volunteer work documenting the link between human rights violations and environmental degradation in Burma. Yep. And, uh, and I think it was uh, then uh, that it really clicked for me that it really didn't matter whether it was human rights violations or environmental degradation, that it's all happening under the kind of the kind of the framework of a globalized economy um, and that unsustainable consumption is driving be it human rights violations on the Burmese border, the use of child labor um, and uh, forced labor uh, to put in energy pipelines to feed Thailand's uh, uh, kind of goods production system, right. uh, or if it's ancient old growth uh, rainforest being logged to provide the pulp for pizza boxes or for packaging. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was then that it really clicked for me that, you know, there's this 
inextricable link between human rights and environmental issues, uh, and that the that harnessing the power of the, the economy, the construct of our modern day economy, was a really powerful tool because uh, we live in the supply and demand world, uh, and we have you know very basic business adages like the customer is always right, and so. Uh, what about if we had the customer, especially large corporate customers, uh, saying that they wanted not only a product that was, you know, delivered on time and of a certain quality and at a certain price point, but also uh, had a kind of a certain level or bar of environmental and social justice performance associated with it, that the market didn't have to drive destructive practices, that the government, that the market could also help enable uh, solutions. So it was with that sort of those thoughts swimming around in my head that when I moved to Canada, I felt like I was moving to the belly of the beast of consumption that so much uh, uh, energy as well as forest products gets consumed uh, in Canada and the US. And so what an incredible opportunity to try and harness that voracious appetite uh, for paper products and for fabrics, wood-based fabrics and things like that to actually help catalyze uh, solutions. And um, so how long has has your organization been around for? Um, how long have you been running it for at this point? Uh, I started Canopy in 1999. So okay. many gray hairs ago, I guess. Seriously, about yeah. <laughs> years, yes. And started literally, you know, at a kitchen table with my first year budget being, you know, $1,800. Um, and now we work to protect the world's forest species and climate. And we do that by harnessing the power of the marketplace. So we work with about 750 to 800 really large corporate customers of paper, pulp products, wood-based fabrics like rayon um, around the world. Okay. And so if we went into, you know, because you do, I, I was looking on your website again, um, as I often am on it, I like it very much. And <laughs> you Thank sort of you. break down, yeah, no, it's great. It's looking really great. I, I You break down um, the, the campaigns that you're currently focusing on, and there's a number of them. Um, you know, the campaign, the, the Canopy Style campaign, for example. Mm-hmm. Um you sort of alluded to it already. So what, what would that campaign, where is the campaign today? And, and what is the mission of that, that campaign is in terms of a solution um, for, the, for the challenges that you see? Yeah, so Canopy Style, it's a, it's a really interesting uh, campaign uh, initiative, I think. So I think for most folks, the link between paper and trees or forests is more intuitive than the link between a tree, which can give you a splinter, and the soft, soft silky fabric that next, that's next to your skin. Yes. Um, and so when we discovered five years ago that there was, in fact, this link between f- that trees were being logged and sent to a pulp mill, and that rayon and viscous and modal and other fabrics were coming out of the other end of that process, uh, and that that was rapidly emerging as a threat to forest ecosystems around the world, then it really set off alarm bells for us. And and the link, you know, to be honest, was we were kind of tracking trends uh, with forest products, kind of where where the forest industry was was uh, trending, what were priority new markets for them. Yeah. Um, and then at the, exactly the same time, my colleagues were in uh, stores and just started to notice more of a prevalence of tags that said made from natural fibers. And so we kind of came 
to this sort of the fact that the fashion industry was emerging as a very sort of um, aggressively growing threat to forest ecosystems around the world uh, from two uh, directions. And so at the time, our, our kind of our goal for the for the Canopy Style Initiative is, is uh, fairly simple. It's to ensure that fashion doesn't become a major driver of uh, deforestation and forest degradation around the world, mm-hmm. uh, to make sure that ancient and endangered forests and socially controversial fiber uh, are not uh, disappearing into the rayon and viscous clothing that we all wear on a daily basis. Yes. Um, and today about 120 million trees disappear uh, into clothing every year, um, much of that from ancient and endangered forests. But what we've been able to do over the course of the last couple of years since we discovered this link um, is that we've been able to galvanize incredible support from uh, from the brands. So we currently have 96 uh, fashion brands, retailers and designers on board. So some of the big guys in the industry like H&M and Zara, uh, Levi's, um, uh, some of the luxury designers like Stella McCartney, uh, really progressive designers like Eileen Fisher, and many, many uh, other brands as well mm-hmm. in between. And they've all committed to uh, eliminate any fabrics that originate from endangered forests or socially controversial sources, and they're engaging their suppliers. Um, and as a result of brands partnering with us and very clearly communicating their intentions to the rayon producers, uh, we have... Uh, rayon producers that represent about 75% of global production wow. who also have uh, commitments in place now to eliminate their use of endangered forest fiber. And so my team are currently uh, working incredibly uh, hard with those uh, rayon producers, especially the leading ones, to ver- unpack their supply chains and, and verify that they're in fact not sourcing from endangered forests. And if they are, uh, then to help identify alternatives and just so i understand in terms of rayon is that is it become a more popular fiber in general because it's a cheaper to make or what's the story with rayon altogether i i've noticed that i see it more and more or is it just my imagination <laughs> no that's that's what we were noticing as well um no in fact there's been uh i'd say within the last decade uh rayon use has doubled um and it's projected to double again so that was mm-hmm. one of the that for us was really interesting about yeah. engaging with the fashion industry because so often as environmental activists we're de- trying to turn around uh you know like the, the train's already left the station the yeah. track's delayed and, and the train's heading out over a chasm uh which the track doesn't actually kind of make it all the way across yeah. uh here we had the opportunity even though 120 million trees is a really big impact on forest ecosystems and frontline communities, we had the opportunity to engage at this inflection point in terms of this supply chain. Like mm-hmm. if, we, if we could redirect this industry, you know, over the course of the next couple of years before it doubles again in terms of its production infrastructure, then we have the ability to direct it in a more sustainable uh, direction uh, before billions of dollars worth of infrastructure are invested, and then it just becomes much more challenging uh, to transition uh, from to more sustainable sources. Like if a mill's been built in the middle of the Amazon or in the middle of an intact area of the boreal forest, yeah. then it's much more, 
Exactly. And so we're having those conversations now, which is actually really ex an exciting space to be in. Uh, and we're talking with Rayon producers with uh, with a lot of enthusiasm from the brands around, you know, what are those next generation solution fabrics and how do we actually help catalyze those as well? So how do we alleviate the stress of forest ecosystems altogether by potentially looking at the new mill infrastructure and new rayon capacity that comes online, drawing more heavily on uh, recycled fabrics as mm. the raw material source or straw as the raw material source rather than forests altogether. Interesting. And does that come into play with um, with cotton and other fabrics, or is rayon the the main uh, your main focus? Is that somehow the the biggest uh, instigator of issues? Well, for Canopy, because our mission is really related to helping conserve forest ecosystems yeah. and all the ecosystem services associated with forests, so our climate, clean water, fresh air, species habitat, yeah. uh, then our work with the fashion industry is focused on the rayon supply chain because okay. that's the production system that actually really impacts, actively ah. impacts all growth forest ecosystems around the world. Okay. Uh, and that being said, our work on uh, these next-gen solutions, circular economy fabrics, uh, will hopefully have broad ramifications and help uh, transition other uh, sourcing issues for the fashion industry, like the impacts associated with cotton and, and other other uh, fibers that they currently use. Okay, okay. And so how does that or does it relate to this other um, campaign, which is second harvest campaign? That's that's not that's focused more on on um, on paper and, and and books or publishing. Or is that also related to uh, fabric in terms of, of uh, fashion and stuff? How, do, how does that come into play? Yeah, the, I mean, definitely the two are related. Um, are. We started our work on the second harvest campaign, as you noted, uh, probably about well, close to 10 years ago now. Yeah. And we're looking at forest conservation from a systems perspective. You know, like if we continue to rely almost exclusively on forest ecosystems to provide the fiber for construction materials and paper and packaging and, you know, increasingly fabrics, then, uh, you know, we can uh, log better. But ultimately, yeah. if we're still requiring the same volume of fiber, then uh, we're going to end up at some point with not enough forests uh, right. to provide that fiber. And so for us, kind of like a, you know, a good investment portfolio, uh, we uh, looked to how can we diversify the fiber basket um, to make all of these products that we need as a society mm -hmm. uh, and have uh, with that di diversifying the fiber basket, what are some of the other or options uh, that carry a lighter environmental footprint um, mm. and straw really pops uh, as a great alternative uh, to using virgin tree fiber. A, it enables forest ecosystems to stay standing. And there's enough straw in the US and Canada uh, to keep you know, hundreds of millions of trees standing every year. Uh, if we use straw to make paper and pulp products right. and waste fabrics rather than continuing to rely on forest ecosystems, it obviously it carries ha approximately half the ecological footprint. It just takes less energy, less water, less chemicals to take straw and turn it into paper than it does to take a tree and turn that into paper. You avoid all the greenhouse gas emissions associated uh, with the current practice of burning straw, which is quite common. 
Um, and then obviously there are um, the social benefits for rural communities, uh, jobs being built with uh, these kind of new pulp mills uh, being built in places. So for us, uh, the Second Harvest campaign just always uh, has has made sense. And it's been something that we've been working with large paper consumers, uh, corporate paper consumers like book publishers mm-hmm. uh, uh, to express an interest and lend support to the research and development of these papers. And, and I think we're really just on the brink of commercial scale production of, of those straw-based pulps and papers in North America. And as you probably remember, uh, we have done a couple of pilot trials yes. uh, with uh, noted authors like Margaret Atwood, yes. um, Jan Martel, Alice Munro, uh, and their publisher, Penguin Random House, um, as well as we did a, a, a kind of like a trial with Canadian Geographic, and it was the first magazine on North American newsstands showing that you can actually produce really high publication-grade papers using uh, straw. So that technology is quite advanced. Uh, there are a number of ventures, green ventures, uh, straw pulp mills that are shovel-ready, just pending uh, investment. And so we're really hopeful that within the next 12 to uh, 24 months, we'll actually have the first straw-based mill at commercial scale online and producing and feeding into the North American uh, supply chain. The Canopy Style uh, initiative is uh, is a very uh, exciting uh, campaign. It's got a lot of momentum. It's moving very quickly. In fact, I think H&M recently described it as the fastest moving environmental initiative in the apparel sector, nice. uh, <laughs> which, we're, which we're really proud of and, and cognizant that um, uh, this is, I think it really speaks to the power of collective action, um, that uh, the work that uh, we are able to do with our brand partners and with the rayon producers who are stepping into this space as well is really driving exciting change. And given the political uh, climate that we're in and the ecological realities that we're facing, that this style of corporate leadership and this kind of partnership between companies and uh, civil society is even more important yeah. uh, in advancing environmental issues and social justice today. So I think that's kind of uh, an example of our work that I think we're all really proud of. Uh, our work with kind of more traditional sort of uh, heavy paper consuming sectors like the book publishing mm-hmm. industry uh, continues forward. Um, I know that Harry Potter is a long, a long way behind us now in greening that book series, but we do continue to really uh, work with large corporate consumers of paper as well, just recognizing that still even though there's this kind of perception, at least in North America, because we're all cognizant that, you know, we now, a lot of us consume our news electronically. Uh, We have reading devices that we'll sort of use for reading books. Uh, That paper still is the lion's share in terms of impact on forest ecosystems. So that's still a big priority for us. And then, of course, uh, translating that kind of purchasing uh, influence in the marketplace to drive solutions like we've touched on with Second Harvest and the circular economy fabrics, but also right down to on the ground to the landscapes of hope uh, that are really at the core of our work. Mm-hmm. Um, that's 
that's still a, pr a real priority for us. And so in terms of our place-based work, um, Vancouver Island's remaining pockets of old growth rainforests are a really key area that we're hoping uh, to see some significant advances uh, on in terms of in the initial kind of in the short term over the next number of months, ideally a moratorium uh, in place on any uh, logging in these remaining kind of pockets of old growth that are left on Vancouver Island and on the west coast of the continent. Um, and then ideally sort of transitioning that into a process that will lead to formal protection. Uh, in the boreal forest, the big green swath, the lungs of our planet across the north of the continent, then we're very close, uh, I think, to uh, securing a really big conservation and social justice uh, win nice. and, bus and business win uh, in the broadback forest uh, where yeah. cor corporate consumers are um, really supportive of a solution. The Cree uh, First Nations have been uh, very active with advancing a protected area proposal. Um, the forest industry in the area have put in place a moratorium for the last number of years. And so we're just on the brink of a, a solution there that hopefully the Quebec government will be stepping in to finalize sometime soon. Nice. Nice. And then further, further afield in Indonesia, uh, there are landscapes of hope like the Loser ecosystem, which is the last place on earth where orangutans and tigers and elephants and rhinos all still roam. Um, and we're working uh, with both local partners as well as uh, uh, international NGO partners to try and secure conservation and a green economy transition for, in that landscape. So, so a lot going on. <laughs> that 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 should be this week, and then we'll see what next brings. Exactly. Um, so what if I said to you, what are your biggest challenges? Um, you know, you do like I, like I mentioned before, I think it's pretty amazing how you've, you've been able to, um, retain the backing and support of really big, um, industry leaders in, in whether it's in a publishing industry or, um, textile industry. I'm wondering, you know, obviously still not everything is, is, is easy despite that support, but I'm sure helpful. What, what would you say are the biggest challenges that you're facing right now? Yeah. I mean, I think as you know, we really do have really fantastic partners yeah. and our impact in the world has really, you know, as charming and, and delightful and smart as we would like to think is <laughs> that we are, uh, we're under no del uh, illusion that um, uh, we we only have the successes that we have because of the partnerships mm -hmm. uh, that we have. Um, so we're very uh, fortunate uh, to have so many uh, fantastic and deep partnerships. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, as you note, uh, you know, when most of us pick up the newspaper and read a headline about environmental issues, there's not generally a ton of great, <laughs> great news out there. Um, so you know, we're an ambitious um, and fast-moving, impacts-focused, uh, not-for-profit organization, as you can yep. imagine. Uh, managing our success uh, is an issue uh, sometimes. You know, sometimes there's a lag between, uh, you know, the work that we create by really moving quickly, like our Canopy Style Initiative, for example. Like, since three and a half years since we publicly launched that initiative, we have... 96 brands and 75% of the supply chain on board. Amazing, um, yeah. 
we're ambitious with what we plan for and uh, it's moved even faster than what we had originally anticipated. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's uh, just having the financial resources that we need to be able to uh, move forward at the pace that we want to is sometimes there's a little bit of a lag mm -hmm. between that. Mm -hmm. uh, very, very lucky to have a very talented um, and dedicated, passionate team. So that always uh, makes life easier. And then, you know, shifting supply chains is just, um, it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. Um, and, and they're complex issues. Uh, if it was easy, then somebody, uh, you know, would have already solved it uh, a while ago. Yeah. And so, you know, just the, the day to day uh, grappling of how to help support uh, these heavy uh, impact supply chains actually transition uh, their practices and their sourcing uh, to be more sustainable mm -hmm. um, at, a, at a kind of at a broader societal level is it's just uh, it's challenging work at times and um, um, it just it requires a, a kind of a constant infusion of kind of creativity absolutely yeah um, anything else you wanted to say about uh keeping all that in mind and the pace that you're working at and the amount of work on your plane and the amount of stuff happening in terms of future, you kind of, you ready to allude to um, future steps and developments and stuff that's upcoming or some of them a little more mysterious than others. But <laughs> Anything else you wanted to say about, let's say your next uh, two year plan or five year plan or where you'd like, where you'd like to see canopy? Uh, well, I think there's, I mean, definitely we have specific campaign goals and aspirations. Yeah. Um, you know, we are really uh, confident that within the next two years, we will be able to give a really strong assurance that uh, rayon and viscous fabrics are uh, free of endangered forest fiber. Yeah. Um, uh, we are hoping that uh, we have significantly moved the dial on uh, kickstarting commercial scale production of straw-based papers mm -hmm. uh, within North America and have really started um, significant movement on next generation solution fabrics uh, being produced. So a big kind of priority for us on, on the solutions uh, pieces and, uh, and then obviously ultimately uh, translating that through to conservation on the ground in priority landscapes around the world. That mm -hmm. uh, I think for, for us, when I look ahead for the next two years, I'm incredibly excited about what lies ahead. I feel like, um, you know, when I first started Canopy back in the late 90s and early 2000s, then just the um, uh, receptivity of, it's not that people didn't care about uh, the environment, but it was seen, uh, it was a little bit more challenging for champions and advocates within companies to actually have a mandate mm. uh, to really run with an environmental agenda within, within their company. Um, and that's really shifted a lot in the last 15 years, even the last 10 years. Yeah. And so I'm really excited about what's possible. Um, and that, I think that's one of the things at Canopy where we're really guided by this philosophy of the art of what's possible. Mm. Um, and how do we help kind of continue to shift or redefine what is possible as we move along? 
And you are definitely doing that um, every day, probably. So um, that's incredibly impressive. I've I've been watching you uh, for many years in terms of how this how your organization has evolved and the the work you're doing and the success uh, that you've had and continue to have. And so um, I've always been impressed. And so I'm really glad that uh, you've taken the time to to tell us more about how it all began and what you're doing. Um, and I will definitely have a look out, keep a lookout for, for your wonderful work ahead. So uh, really, really exciting. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime. Thank you for listening to In the Business of Change. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to hear other conversations with inspired social entrepreneurs and change makers working on challenges in their communities and across the globe. I'm your host, Elisa Birnbaum. <laughs>